Welcome back to Avery After Dark. It's me, your host, Avery Ross, and I hope everyone is having a great week. A little quick housekeeping. If you are new here, welcome. I am really happy to have you. And for all my OG listeners, I love hearing that you all are enjoying the podcast so much. Make sure you are all subscribed and give it a good rating and a review. Today's case is an unsolved one. It's a mystery, a whodunit, and why would someone do it? It's a stalking and harassing case unlike anything I have ever seen or heard. It's one of those stories that you can't believe actually happened to someone. To start, I want you to imagine an anonymous caller calling you every day, all day. They know intimate, personal details about you. They know your schedule, your routine. They talk in different voices to disguise themselves, mainly in the voice of a young child. They threaten your loved ones, and you have no way of stopping them. This isn't the plot of a thriller movie. This was a terrifying reality for a Washington, D.C. restaurateur in the 1980s who became the target for an insane nonstop stream of harassing phone calls for nine years. You heard me right. Almost a decade. Think back to where you were in 2013 and imagine that entire time period up to now being harassed by an unidentified caller every single day. This is one of the most bizarre mysteries in U.S. history, Today's episode is the chilling case of the L'Enfant Caller. It all began in 1983 at the Marrakesh Restaurant, a very popular Moroccan-themed spot in Washington, D.C., and it starts with Bashir Kushaki. Bashir was the owner and manager there, and things were going well for him. He was in his 40s, he had a girlfriend who was pregnant with their child, and he was in charge of running an extremely profitable restaurant in one of the biggest cities in America. He was not new to the restaurant business. Born in Syria and raised in Lebanon, he was an Armenian Catholic and grew up and moved to the U.S. where he became an American citizen. He worked for Disney World and then moved to Los Angeles. He worked in the restaurant scene there and even worked in the New York City restaurant scene, which is one of the most competitive markets in the U.S., if not the most competitive. The food industry, the restaurant business, is really cutthroat. Some of you may know that. You may have worked in the industry or maybe even owned your own spot, and you would know better than anyone. It's an everyday type of business, and super low profit margins can keep a restaurant on the brink of closing any day. So the pressure is on in that industry, And at the same time, if you have a restaurant that is popular and profitable, you can make a great living off of it. So Bashir really worked his way up in that world. And in 1977, he and his sister, Vivian, opened the first Marquesh restaurant in Philadelphia. And it was a huge hit. So much so that after a few years of booming success, In the early 80s, he opened the second location of Marrakesh in Washington, D.C., and that's where our story begins. Bashir was known for his great sense of humor and schmoozy friendliness, a very common trait for those in the restaurant business. 
You're always meeting new people, you're making connections, and Bashir was great at his job. If you can open one restaurant and it's a hit, great. If you can open two and they are both thriving, you have got yourself a career. So this was the 80s. So the telephone was a primary tool in the restaurant business. This was before the internet became what it is today. So customers would call Marrakesh for everything that they needed. Reservations, questions, to-go orders, business inquiries, everything. This was their main mode of communication and how they stayed in business. And things were going well until it began with one phone call. The call came in on a phone that was installed in the D.C. location during construction of the restaurant. And when Bashir would come down from Philly to supervise the work, he started receiving these strange phone calls. But the caller wouldn't say anything when he would answer the phone. But he knew there was someone on the other end of the line because he could hear them breathing. But it was just silence on the other end. He eventually gets an answering machine and then started to come into the restaurant to play the messages back. And that caller began leaving messages of them laughing and making tsk-tsk sounds. When the restaurant officially opened, the calling escalated. The unidentified caller began screaming obscenities to whoever picked up the phone. They mentioned Bashir's name and also friends of his that he hadn't seen in years. So the caller obviously knew a bit about him. Bashir and the employees would hang up on them initially, but the caller kept at it. And the thing back then was phones were hardwired into the wall, so you couldn't just unplug it. And another thing, there was no caller ID, so you didn't know who was calling you. The caller would make inappropriate comments, sexual and gross things. They would demand money and even threaten to kill Bashir and the employees at the restaurant. At first, they were really creeped out by the person, but assumed that the calls would eventually stop. In these kinds of cases... Callers eventually get bored of the person and will move on to someone else to harass and threaten. But not this caller. It only intensified every day. And things took a bizarre turn when the caller began imitating a range of different voices, notably a young girl. There's something about that that really creeps you out, sends a chill down your spine. It's one thing to get a call from someone using their own voice threatening you, that's scary in itself. But to pick up the phone and hear the person imitating a child, are you kidding? That makes it a lot worse and so much scarier. It's just eerie. The restaurant was harassed and tormented every single day by this caller, who they eventually began referring to as l'enfant which is French for the child, because of the creepy voice that they would use on the phone. The caller would also imitate adults with Middle Eastern type accents. And on some of the calls, they could hear people laughing and screaming in the background and the sounds of gunfire. It was constant, all day, every day. And it was standard for the restaurant employees to say, LaFont called 20 times today, or that was LaFont on the phone. In between the calls, there would be reservations or business dealings that they had to answer. They had to pick up the phone. So they were really trapped. 
Needless to say, the turnover rate at the restaurant was extremely high. Employees would come and go, many wanting to get away from the caller and be rid of the entire terrifying ordeal. One employee even checked into a hospital for a month because of anxiety and having such bad nervous tension from the caller in the job. As we discussed, the restaurant business is a challenging one on its own. Physically, it's very taxing. So to have this job and have to deal with this stalker calling you all day every day, I would have been so out of there. And the caller was threatening them. So they didn't know, was he going to come through on those threats? Was he going to follow them to their cars at the end of the day? Did the caller know where they lived? When someone has enough time and motive to call you thousands of times, you can't help but think that eventually they're going to take it a step farther. It kept building and building, but no one felt it as much as Bashir himself as he was the primary target. The employees would take the brunt of a lot of the calls and harassment, but it was really Bashir that L'Enfant was after. Bashir had a pregnant girlfriend at the time, and the caller began threatening her as well. So L'Enfant knew private and intimate details about Bashir's life. The calls were reported to police, but they couldn't identify who the caller was, thus putting them in a tough spot and nothing really happened. And the story was so incredibly strange and bizarre. Many thought, was this Bashir doing this? Was he making it up? But all of this was corroborated by other employees, doctors, lawyers he consulted with, friends, family, and the State Department through records obtained under the Freedom of Information Act. The caller took it to a horrifying and personal new level. When Bashir walked out to his car one day to find Stars of David scratched into it. A short time after that, he discovered that someone had tampered with the spark plug wires in his Jeep, which came close to igniting the fuel lines. The caller was now upping the ante and was tracking him, and they knew this because the second that Bashir would walk into the restaurant, the phone would ring, and it was you-know-who. Bashir was losing sleep. He was having nightmares, always on edge, suspicious of everyone around him, and was suffering from pretty intense PTSD. He lost his appetite and was rapidly losing weight. And you would think, hey, maybe get out of town for a bit. But even when Bashir would make the trip to Philadelphia to visit the Marrakesh restaurant there, the calls would follow him the second he walked in the door. There was no escape from this caller, and as you can imagine, in 1987, Bashir suffered an intense mental breakdown and checked into a psychiatric ward. L'Enfant did make numerous calls to the psych ward as well, but he was much more protected there. Staff and doctors knew what was going on, so it was really the only place he could live without fear. But the second that he would check out and try to go back to reality... The calling and harassment continued, and there was seemingly no way out for him. L'Enfant wasn't moving on. They weren't letting up. It was only intensifying. Things got so bad, at the request of Bashir, something incredibly rare happened. 
the FBI got involved in the case. And now just a quick word from today's sponsors. So it isn't standard for the FBI to investigate a stalking and harassing case, but the veracity of L'Enfant was hard for them to ignore, so they began investigating the calls. They looked into the restaurant's phone records, and what they found was chilling. The frequency of the calls left even the FBI completely shocked. So we're going to break down one day of calls, for example, so we can get an idea of what that looked like for the restaurant in Bashir. So the day we're going to look at is July 14th, 1987. So two calls came in at 9.53 a.m., two calls at 9.54 a.m., one at 11.23 a.m., one at 11.24 a.m., 11.32 a.m., 1.19 p.m., 1.32 p.m., 2 p.m., 3.12 p.m., two calls at 4.12 p.m., one at 4.13 p.m., 4.16 p.m., 4.58 p.m., and 9.25 p.m. They were absolutely relentless. But that wasn't all. They traced the phone calls and found that they were coming from a large number of payphones in the Washington metropolitan area. Meaning, these calls weren't coming in from another state or from across the country. The caller was incredibly close, which from the incident with Bashir's cars and the caller knowing his whereabouts 24-7, they guessed that. But many hoped that this wasn't the case. The FBI ended up concluding that this was likely a plot orchestrated by multiple people for the sole purpose of driving Bashir insane. The Chesapeake and Potomac Telephone Company and the FBI put a trace on the line for over two years, but were never able to identify the caller or callers. It was estimated that the caller made over 7,000 phone calls in that time period. The FBI eventually closed the case. Frank Scafidi, a FBI spokesperson, said... At some point, you have to make a judgment call. Is it worth the money to continue the investigation because you have more of a harassing situation than a threatening one? From their standpoint, they concluded that the caller wasn't really following through on any of the death threats, so they couldn't do much. Years of tracing L'Enfant led nowhere, and Bashir was in and out of psychiatric wards for years, and he considered it a home away from home. His psychiatrist, Dr. John Wiley, was interviewed about Bashir with his permission and said he has been fearful to be outside of a protective environment and has attached himself to the psych ward as a place that he trusts. He went on to say that it's like a safe haven for Bashir. And Bashir thoroughly believed that the caller was doing this to drive him crazy and to eventually kill him. But why? Why would someone do this to him? There has got to be more to this story. And there is. And you're not going to believe it. There was one glaring event in the past that Bashir believed is connected to the caller. And that is, he was kidnapped in Lebanon in 1974 by a group of unidentified men who the State Department believes was a rogue faction of the Palestine Liberation Organization. Okay, so how did all of this go down? 
So Bashir and his wife, Gail, at the time were in Beirut, where she was booked for a singing engagement. She was a professional singer and was invited to a party one night thrown by a Saudi princess. And she asked Bashir to pick her up from the event at 11.30 p.m. So he pulled up that night to pick her up and sat and waited outside and waited and waited. The hour came and went, and eventually after 1 a.m., Bashir was completely turned around and assumed that he had the wrong address to pick up his wife. So he left. He turned a corner and then was immediately blocked by a car. When four men jumped out with guns, he initially thought that his kidnappers were just going to rob him, but they then kept him there for five days in a windowless basement with one light and a blanket on the floor. He was interrogated every day, every two hours, beaten, and threatened by countless men and young boys waving guns in his face. Bashir thought that this was the end and attempted to take his own life. His captors found him and rushed him to a hospital, and there he got in contact with his mother through a nurse, and she alerted the authorities. The State Department believes that they thought that he was a CIA agent because he was driving a Mercedes with Belgian plates in an area that he didn't belong. A horrifying ordeal for Bashir, and it really changed his life in every way possible. His psychiatrist, who Bashir told about the kidnapping, believed that it changed him deeply. Bashir was really paranoid after this, fearing people thought that he had done something wrong, and wishes he would have gotten counseling immediately after so he could process it. Bashir spoke of the trauma and said, Because when they fester for a long time, every action that comes after, from an innocent guy who says hello on the street to a phone call that's a hang-up, or from anybody, it's a threat. It's somebody that wants to hurt you. This event obviously really changed his life. A few months after that, he made his move to L.A. and started working in the restaurant business at a spot on Sunset Boulevard, and eventually on to D.C. later with his restaurant, and he and his wife, Gail, did divorce. Bashir did believe that perhaps the kidnapping and the calls were connected. Some friends and family agree that the kidnapping is the answer to the calls, but others think it was maybe someone else. Bashir went on to win almost $500,000 in workers' compensation from his insurer because of his job, The calls were the primary source of his mental illness. And in total, Bashir lived in the psych ward for almost six years. So the harassment didn't stop. While Bashir was in the psych ward, he did receive calls from Montfont, like I mentioned. But while he was there, another manager named Raj Tuli took over for him at the restaurant and he then became the target of the calls. And now, just another quick word from today's sponsors. And this is where things take an even darker turn. When Raj took over for Bashir, Lafont went after him. He claimed to know his exact schedule and the location of his home. And it really escalated with Raj. Three weeks after he initially took over, 
Raj's son, Richard, was attacked walking home from school. From the reports, two men approached Richard as he was walking home from school one day, and they attacked him. Later that day, LaFont called Raj and confirmed it was them who attacked Richard. And the next day, Raj found Richard will die painted on the front door of his home. So this confirmed two things. One, these men were very dangerous. And two, there are multiple people involved in LaFont's plot, like the FBI believed. LaFont was never identified. And in 1993, the calls eventually stopped for some reason. To this day, Everything about L'Enfant remains a mystery, and this is truly one of the creepiest and most terrifying stories I have ever heard. The fact that this caller used a child voice to intimidate and scare Bashir and the other employees, and the fact that this went on for years is so chilling, and that it resulted in Raj's son being attacked is just vile. These men would do anything and everything in their power to intimidate and instill fear in Bashir and anyone around him. Later in 2002, Bashir was in the middle of a lot of controversy for some ads that he paid to publish for the Marrakesh restaurant. And he also allegedly ran a really hateful website with some super offensive views on women, religion, race, etc., etc. It's been debated if Bashir was doing this because he actually believed in these ideas or if he was doing this in some kind of retaliation or a way to get at L'Enfant. Another big reason, many speculate that his mental health had taken quite a hit from the years of harassment and that's where this all ended. Not excusing any of the things that he said because they were supposedly really hateful. And hey, I'm a woman, so some of the statements were allegedly aimed at women. But I am really not quite sure what kind of mental state he was in after a decade of this kind of constant harassment, years of this insanity and fearing for your life on top of the PTSD from his kidnapping years prior. I'm not giving him a pass at all, but just looking at the writing on the wall here, he may not have been in the best frame of mind. That kind of psychological torment every single day, year after year, that really is too much for any one person to take. I think I would probably be permanently in a padded room I really didn't read the website nor what it said because I try not to fill my head with ignorance. But like I said, I don't know where the guy was mentally after all that had happened to him or if he was doing that in some kind of a stunt to get LaFont to come back out so he could identify him. I know many felt a lot of sympathy for Bashir before the controversy as... He was extremely angry. He essentially lost a big part of his life to this caller. After the controversial website and ads, Bashir himself kept a fairly low profile for obvious reasons. And this case was actually featured on Unsolved Mysteries in 1993. And it's now 
2022, and it remains unsolved. I do believe this episode was actually excluded from the Amazon Prime episodes of Unsolved Mysteries, and I think that may be because of the issues in the 2000s, but I'm not completely sure. I'm not sure why else they would exclude this episode. But all these years later, the question remains, who was L'Enfant? How many people were in on this twisted scheme? And was the sole purpose just to drive Bashir insane? They had no problem attacking Raj's son within just a couple weeks, but they never took that step with Bashir. So they wanted to keep him alive just so they could torment him. What a calculated and slow game that they played. I have just never heard of anything like it in my life. For all of you that may be saying, oh my gosh, could this happen to me? I'm here to tell you probably not in today's world with caller ID, blocking, unlisted numbers, and technology now. They can really track down sick people like this pretty much instantly. And we've talked about this before on this podcast. Technology and social media, I believe, are behind a lot of the problems in society. But they are also really helpful in a lot of ways. They help solve a lot of cases and protect people. So for that, I am very grateful. And this was the 80s. So this was just an extremely unfortunate circumstance for Bashir and everyone around him, his family, his restaurant staff. All in all, this case is such a bizarre mystery. I do believe that L'Enfant was connected to the kidnapping. I'm just shocked that they took it as far as they did. And for that length of time, it's just terrifying. Man, another crazy case. As always, linking all the Avery After Dark channels below, go give them a follow to stay up to date. And if you want all these episodes ad-free and you want to support the Avery After Dark podcast, join the Avery After Dark Patreon. I love you for it. We're really coming into official spooky season, folks. So hold on to your hats. I've got... So many eerie cases and spooky stories coming your way. Next week is going to be a story time. And I've been working on it for a bit. So I know I'm looking forward to you all hearing that. I know you guys love story time almost as much as me because I love it. And I love that you guys love it. But have a great week, you guys. Be well. And I'll see you next episode.